They just came on now. Let's try to get closer to the stage. Sorry. Do you want to go on my shoulders? Yeah, that'd be unreal, thanks. Wow. Three celebrates connections made by music this summer. Find out more at 3.ie forward slash music. Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to the Compulsive Reader Talks. I'm Magdalena Ball and today's guest is Anna Solding, author of The Hum of Concrete. Anna, welcome. Thank you very much. Now, before we begin chatting, can I ask you to read to us a little bit from The Hum of Concrete? I certainly can. Would you like me to read the beginning, perhaps? That would be fine. It um, begins on a snowy day. Here we go. As you pull the blinds up, and see the layer of powder covering the spidery limbs of the young beach outside your second-story bedroom window, you know it'll be a Sunday like no other. A quick glance at the thermometer confirms winter's sudden appearance, and there is no time to lose. You know the city's winter is a fickle friend who would never think twice about leaving you wet and wandering in a pile of grey slush. He has to save you this day of crisp white and endless blue. Breakfast is a quick affair. Convincing your friend to come along tobogganing doesn't take long. Finding stray gloves and beanies at the back of the wardrobe is another story altogether. At least the toboggans are where you left them, jammed between a cupboard and the old sewing machine at the back of the attic. Instead of catching the lift, you almost run up the stairs. From this nine-story vantage, the children playing down below look like colourful ants designing a mini-city of their own. Their little feet have already made an intricate pattern from doors to slides to swings. Finally rugged up and ready to face the chill, you enter the altered world outside, squinting at the glare while adjusting the backpack, holding a thermos of hot chocolate and leftover homemade cinnamon scrolls from yesterday's family gathering. You venture across the expanse that was once the lawn. Your friend, who might just happen to be a anaesthetist with a great love of the outdoors, bombards you with a loose snowball, and you laugh at each other's silly beaming. That's the beginning. I don't know if that's long enough. Do you want me to keep going? Or? No, that, that's fine. Um, it's quite um, an interesting passage. It differs a lot from the rest of the book, doesn't it? Well, it does in some sense because most of the book is probably not set in winter. And um, I have these passages in the book that are written in second person and there's one of them. So I'm trying to pull the reader in. And I know you... Is, um, quite confronting to some people, they find that, well, you're not really talking about me, but I think a lot of people love it because it really does make them feel like they're there in that moment. Yes, there's also a kind of a, a childlike perspective in there. And, you know, obviously the, the whole book begins with that perspective, but um, it almost plunges the reader into seeing things from from a child's eyes. Yeah, I mean, I'm still imagining that these, people are um, on the verge of adulthood and they're reliving their childhood through doing this and and that's very much what it's like I think in Sweden when the snow comes it brings out the child in everybody and everybody wants to go out to bargaining and throwing snowballs and, and so I think that's what I'm trying to um, show in this passage. There's, there's a lot through the book though isn't there about the whole 
I guess, the whole notion between childhood and adult and um, even that kind of childhood wonder that comes perhaps later as we um, as we grow older? Yeah, I think I want to show um, virtually the whole life cycle in the book because I have children and I have um, teenagers growing up and you see all my five characters as they as they grow, um, not necessarily into really um, aged, um, but their parents grow old and um, pass away. And so I just wanted to show the whole life cycle in, in the city. Yes. Now, um, I know that you've published many of the stories individually, but talk to me a little bit about how the whole overall book came together as a package. Well, it was always intended as a novel, but because I was doing it as my PhD in creative writing at Adelaide Uni, I wanted to get published along the way, because that's one of those things that's good to have. You know, once you've finished your degree, then you've got a few publications um, under your belt, and um, that's why I decided to write a novel in stories. And it was a really good decision, I think, because I did get published along the way, and I felt like my writing was justified, uh, but it was always intended to be a novel. So I suppose towards the end I had some stories that I rejected and others that I kept, and and just to make the story come together as a whole. Yes, I mean, the interactions, uh, I thought that when I was reading it, although I'd, I'd read that the stories were published individually, but um, the interactions between the characters are quite pervasive through the book, aren't they? Mm, yeah, I think it's very much um, a character-driven book. I love characters. I think I just want to delve into them, and get to know them, and, and find out more about their background. And, and I really got to know my characters quite well, and I still love them. They're still with me. Also, though, it's the, the way in which they they work together. Yeah. I think is part of the transition of each character. They sort of beat off one another and, and push each other they in different do. directions. Yeah, especially as you keep reading the novel, there, there are more and more of these little interactions between the characters who don't necessarily know each other, but they meet by chance. And I think that's how it is. I think the city is sometimes very big and sometimes very small. And you can have these um, opportunities to meet people that you don't know who can then have a big influence on your life. So I, I like those random moments where these things happen, where people meet and where they... Um, where they have an impact on each other's lives as well. Mm. So tell me a little bit about the organisation of the novel, the, the three stories grouped into sense areas. Yeah, um, I had three stories each for all of the characters and then I wanted to have a special chapter where they all um, come together. So that's basically what I've done. But the sense chapters and, and the knowing Malmo they are all, I have always called them interludes because I see it a little bit like um, a musical piece, the way they kind of fit together and they feed off each other. And so the interludes are small pauses where you look at just the city, the city is the main character, and, and you as a, a reader get straight pulled into the city. And the, and the characters in those chapters are, are just characters who happen to be in the city. So um, I, I like the senses because I think the senses, um, you know, as guide through the book, uh, actually originally, I don't think I've told many people this, but originally I wanted to have it in that the, the chapters ordered in um, seasons because that's very much how you live your life in Sweden. So, you know, you have this spring, which is 
exuberant and fun and wonderful. And then you have summer, which is just lazy and you know great. And you're just in the park and beach or whatever and 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 so forth. So that's how I actually originally wanted to order it. But um, my supervisor just said no, it's too hard because that would mean that some characters would be older in one story in spring and then they would actually be younger in the next story in in summer. And um, I think now that that decision was probably good because now it is chronological and people can follow the characters as they grow and it becomes more of a novel. Yes. Did you focus on the particular sense as you were writing? I mean, did you aim to kind of have the characters do things that related to that sense more than in other chapters? No. No, I didn't actually because, as I said, it was actually originally meant to be more in seasons. So I think mm-hmm. I just generally love the senses and how they um, you know, influence us when we walk around and we smell things and we, and we hear things. So I think all, all the chapters were quite full of sensory experiences. So I didn't think it would matter too much how they were structured. So in the end, it was, um, I suppose it was just a way of ordering them so that you'd have chapters that would um, possibly fit with that heading. And I originally didn't necessarily have them as headings either. They were just supposed to be interludes in between the chapters. But that's that's how it's come to be in the end. So it is, it's just the process of the novel, I suppose. You don't necessarily know how it's going to turn out. But, I mean, I'm glad. It does seem like people think that it fits with, with that absolute. <laughs> and it does focus the reader. I mean, the reader is, you know, does think particularly about that sense as they go into the chapter. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, all the say it is a sensual novel, as you say. I'm, I'm, after we finish this interview, I'm going to have to go off and bake some cinnamon scrolls immediately. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad if it influences people that way. <laughs> I love the cinnamon scrolls. Yes, right. I'll ask you more about them in a minute, but um, just tell me a little bit about the title and what you meant specifically by The Hum of Concrete. Um, the Hum of Concrete was it was quite a difficult title to come up with. I had lots of different titles, and none of them seemed to fit. And I think just one day, I can't even remember if someone said something. Or, it just came to me, and I thought, well, it is the hum is obviously it's a sensory thing. You know, you, you usually it's a happy thing when you're humming, and and you know you can both hear it and feel it. So, um, and concrete is a very harsh and Kind of alienating word, and I, I quite like that juxtaposition, and didn't seem to fit. So you know, I was working around with glass and all these things, but the, the hum of concrete just seemed like such an unusual and unique way of, of telling the story of the city. So that's why I like the title, and um, it seems very popular. Most people say I love the title, so I'm happy about it. Well, concrete, of course, is in many ways it's a metaphor for the city. So I suppose you could say it's the noise, the sound, the the buzz of the city. Exactly. That's basically what I'm trying to say. Mm. Um, you've subtitled the book a novel constellation. Uh, I did notice that Wakefield Press, who um, they must have picked up the book or are distributing it. Yeah, um, they're distributing. That's right. Yeah, they changed that to feeling the heart of the city. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, we... Um, got um, an invitation to help out with their flyer 
And we didn't actually know that what they wanted in that line was the, the subtitle. So I think that's basically my fault, I must say, because we were just trying to capture the novel in in a sentence because I didn't realise that it was, on that line they wanted the um, actual subtitles of the book. So I'll, I'll take responsibility for that. But, I, I mean, I still think that is it, it encapsulates what the, the novel is. But I think in novel constellation, obviously, is the subtitle I've chosen for the book. And it does pick up a little bit on um, Stella or Star. Mm, that's right, yes. Yeah, and this idea, I guess, about the way in which the characters interrelate with one another and sort of move around each other like constellations. That's or right. constellations together. Yeah, well, that's very much how I think of them, as they're individual stars, all of them, not just Stella. And, and they all, together, they form the constellation, um, which is you know, the city. So uh, I, I still think that's a really relevant way. And um, I've actually heard someone told me the other day who's writing about Rebecca Clarkson at Adelaide Uni. She's writing about um, what she calls the um, um, story short story cycle. And in America, that is an actual genre more than it is here. And, and it's basically what, what I've done, except for I don't call it a cycle because I think it's more of a it's a constellation. So that was a title that, um, or a, a term that Peter Bishop at Bruna came up with, and I just loved it. And I said, I'll, I'll just have that. Thank you very much. And I think that's what it is—a constellation. And then the other day, I heard Rebecca, who was writing her thesis, talk to Nick Joseph at Adelaide Uni, and he was saying, "Oh, you know, you can call it a short story cycle or, or a constellation." So it's now entered the vernacular, and um, that's what it is. So. You can you can call it many different names, but I certainly think constellation is a very good one. Yes, and I suppose it's I mean the form is quite a, a satisfying one for a writer, isn't it? Um, mm. It's so hard to do a long, slow novel, but to be able to, I guess, finish sections. Yes, correct, and I think that was the reason why I did it that way because I wanted to you know as I said get published along the way, and also it's nice to see yes one little sections finished and you move on to the next. But at the same time, I I would probably say it's easier to write a conventional novel because a conventional novel only has one beginning, middle and end, while my novel has many, many, many beginnings and middles and ends. So you have to get all of them right rather than just getting one right. Did, did you find in the end, once you'd actually finished each of the stories or each of the stars in the constellation, that um, that you had to work much on it, and you know, and, and unite it. Yeah, no, quite different. I mean, I must say they're all very different. Some of the stories I I wrote and I wasn't happy with, and they have never been in the book. I had to rewrite them from the beginning differently. Whilst others are basically the way they were the first time I wrote them, and I have not changed anything. So it really does depend on how you know, how well you feel like they fit into the actual overall. And and I think the hardest one to write was the um, the story about Nazarene finding her son's um, pornographic magazine. And I, I knew exactly what I wanted to do, but it was very hard to get that one right. And I did write, rewrite that a few times. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, generally I like... Um, getting it right the first time I write really, really slowly, trying to find every right word. So because I'm just not very good at editing, and I think that's why I also throw away whole stories and start again. Because um, 
Yeah, I like the the writing, but the rewriting, I'm not so good at. Um, tell me a little bit more about the characters, Bottle, Nazrin, Susanna, Stella, and Rhyme, and, and the way in which they develop through the book. Well, they are all very different characters, um, and that was obviously one of my um, aims with the book, was to show the diversity of the city, how many different kinds of people you can find. So um, Rhyme is very young, and um, she's had a very hard life. She lives with her, her mother still, and she's got um, ch- young children, and um, she's a teenage mother. And um, she's struggling, she's battling mental illness, and um, but I, I wanted to to show that that is the sort of situation that some people are in, and and we do have, you know, we glimpse some light at the end of the tunnel, so it's not all dark and grim, and. Um, Susanna's a very um, caring, loving mother of um, a young child, and she um, she's in a lesbian relationship, uh, but they've got a child together. And um, she's originally, well, her parents are from um, South America, so she's got a South American background, which is also very common in Malmo. And I wanted to show that that was a natural part of many people's lives. They, you know, secondary and third generation, they speak Spanish at home and so forth. And also just wanted to show them a lesbian relationship as being a very natural um, part of life um, and still having a, a child to take care of together and you know, working with the same kind of issues that any parents do. And then we have um, Bildil, who is... Um, a lot of people love her. A lot of people tell me, I just loved her. She's my favourite character. She's a, um, a, a doctor who specialises in intersex, which is a, a major theme in the novel. So um, she had never intended to have any children, but she comes to that part in her life where she has to decide whether that is the right decision or not. And I think a lot of people um, can relate to that because a lot of people had children later in life and now and I think it's um, I think she's a lovely character I think they all are that's, uh, that's one that people seem to relate to very well um, Nazarene is um, very different again she's a refugee from um, the Palestinian territory who's come to Sweden to um, basically save herself and her husband and she's very lonely she's um, isolated in a new country where she doesn't know anyone and she doesn't know the language. But she is lucky enough to befriend a little girl in her block of flats. And and that really um, helps her take through, you know, take her through those first few years and because it's a lovely little girl who um, just happens to be Estella, who's one of the other characters, who's um, half black, and you know, her dad's African, but she doesn't know her dad. She lives with her mum. And um, she is just a really happy-go-lucky character. She's really um, boisterous and fun and outgoing. And um, But she has um, a brother who um, has intersex. And that's one of the issues in her life that she's struggling to, to deal with. So, um, yeah, they're all very different and they're all facing quite different issues. But... Um, I suppose the theme running through uh, a motherhood and 
intersects and just trying to be a good person I think to relate to other people and yeah there's so many things in the book you have to read it to see what I mean I think yeah, it's a good overview, though. Um, and there's quite a lot of diversity, isn't there? Yes. Not just in terms of the characters' backgrounds, although there's that as well, but, you know, where they come from and their migrant experiences, um, but also in terms of their orientations and their experiences. Yeah, that's right. They're, you know, it's very multicultural, very open novel in that sense that it's inclusive of, you know, different sexualities, different backgrounds, different... Um, um, orientations, different um, influences in life, you know, different kinds of um, professions. And, yeah, I, I just wanted to show the diversity, I think. That was the main reason for making them all so different. Although right from the start, many of the characters, I mean, certainly when we open with Bottle and uh, and her experience, and, and I have to say she is one of my favorites too, <laughs> but, um, you know, right from the start, we're, we're faced with this sense of being other and the pain that goes with that, yeah. and then coming, the coming to terms of that otherness, that seems to be a pretty common theme through the book as well. Yes, and you're right, because I think that's what a lot of people feel, especially when you're younger, I think most people at some time would feel that they're different, that they're they don't fit in for whatever reason. You know, it could be because you've got um, a sexuality that's not part of the norm, or it could be um, because you happen to be from a different culture, different background. But um, certainly, I think most of us at some point feel like we are different. I mean, I've certainly felt uh, throughout my life at times I've felt very different, mainly because I am a writer, and I suppose most people aren't, and it does make you a bit different, and you, you read differently, and you sometimes think differently, as, as you know. Um, so, but, I mean, I've never encountered most of the problems that I discuss in the book, so I just had to imagine what it would be like for them, and, and hopefully I've managed to do that in a way that makes readers relate to them. Yes. Um, and Nazarene, of course, is the, is the classic migrant's experience. Mm. Um, and I, I felt that there was almost a kind of, almost a kind of um, nostalgia a sort of definite sense of love in your portrayal of Malmo as a as a migrant almost, um, you know, way of getting back was was that there for you the sense of you know wanting to place yourself back in a place? Yeah, you're right. I mean, certainly it is a I call it a love song to Malmo. That's basically what it is to me. It's showing all the best things about Malmo, and not so many of them. Not great things about Malmo. And I mean, I haven't lived in Malmo for many years. I've been in Adelaide for 13 years, so it is certainly um, a, a bit of nostalgia there. But I've also been back very regularly for um, on holidays. So I've been to Malmo throughout these 13 years. I've, I've gone back almost every year. So I do know that the city has changed a lot, and that's why I didn't set it in a specific time. But I mean, certainly it's around the 80s and the 90s when I, when I did live in Malmo. Um, but it, writing about Malmo was very um, pleasurable for me. It was it was just so much fun to go back and, and write about these things that I love, and and, and most of the Malmo bits I actually did write when I was in Sweden, not necessarily Malmo, but in Sweden. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, do you live in the country now? I live in Adelaide now, but when I go back to Sweden, I usually stay in the country because my mum's got a summer house and that's where we can stay for free. So it's not in Malmo, but I do go back. Every time I go to Sweden, I go to Malmo. There's also a sense that you can't, well, 
I'm probably reading my own experience into it, but that, you know, you, it's hard to go back to the city when you've left it and you've grown and you've got a family. Okay, yeah, fair enough. If if you moved out in the city, I can I can see what you you mean. Once you live in the city and you move out into the country, it's the city is, is a bit alien. But I I do still live in the city, but I live in the suburbs, and uh, which I always did in Malmo as well. So I actually have quite a similar situation to what I did in Malmo, where I live here. But I I know what you mean. Once you know, I always, when I as I said when I go back to Sweden, we live in the country for you know a couple of months. We usually go for ten weeks or so. And we live in the country then, and that's where I spent all my summers. And um, I certainly, I really love the countryside, both, both in Australia and in Sweden. Yes. Um, Malmo, of course, changes through the novel as well, as, a, as any character does. I mean, it's, it's like a character, of course. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it has its own transition and growth, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. I certainly hope that I've shown some of that with the building of the bridge, which was a very big deal around that time when I was, um, you know, and it, I must say, too, that I didn't actually move to Australia to move away forever. That was not my intention at all. I came to Australia originally to study for one year. And I just never quite moved back because I found the um, creative writing master's degree. And then after that, it was a natural thing to um, keep going with a PhD. And once you've got a PhD in creative writing, you know, what do you do? And my, I'd had children by then and the children settled and my partner was here and yeah, so we just kind of never went back. But um, oh, sorry, where was I going with this? I um, oh, I've forgotten where I, I lost my thread there. Sorry. It's all right. You've gone back in the novel. I've gone back in the novel. Yes, for sure. And um, I just can't remember what you originally asked me. Just, just about the transition. Oh, the, 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 I think you've answered it. Yeah, of Malmo's transition. Sorry, that's right. So I've gone back and I've seen how he has changed in many ways. Um, and I think Malmo is, it's always been a really industrialised city, which I do try to show as well down in the harbour and so forth, but it's changed into more of a, um, a knowledge-based city. So it's got a university now, um, which was very, very new when I was in Malmo. And it's, um, it's more, it's trying to attract people from Denmark to work in Malmo because it's, um, and even people who work in Denmark still live in Malmo. Malmo is, is quite a popular place to live because it's cheaper than, than Denmark and, and because capital of Denmark, Copenhagen, is right there. It's 10 minutes away over across the bridge. So um, it's, it's definitely trying to rebrand itself in, in some way, but it's a very multicultural city, and, and I think that's one of the beautiful things about it, and I've always loved that, that most of my friends had a different background. They were not... Just Swedish, if that's what you think. Just I mean, they had um, they you know some people were from former Yugoslavia, some people were from um, Hungary, Poland, um, any of the South American countries. So it was a very diverse um, city then, and it's it's certainly the same now. Hmm. So tell me a little bit about Midnight Sun Publishing. Well, Midnight Sun Publishing started um, around March last year. What actually happened was I had lunch with a very good friend of mine and I was grumbling about not getting published. So you can imagine you get all these stories published, you know, you get some feedback, you get some confirmation that what you're writing is good. 
I put the novel in as a manuscript into several awards. It was shortlisted. Um, it is um, specifically for the festival awards with quite a big shortlisting here in Adelaide. Um, but it didn't win. And um, the Wakefield Press publishes the winner and um, they yeah, said they would publish my novel, but then in the end they didn't because they didn't have enough grants. To. So I just ended up with all these shortlistings and no publication. So I was grumbling to my friend and I was saying, it's just so annoying. I'm just going to, you know, I don't want to give up on this. I think the novel deserves the readership, but I'll, I'll just keep writing my new novel. And because he's an entrepreneur, he just kind of looked at me and said, why don't we start a publishing company? And he, I mean, it, he has a lot of companies. So I said, well, because we're not crazy. Because basically that's how I felt. Like, it, that's a crazy thing to do. And, you know, I don't know anything about companies. But he said, no, it's okay. I'll help you with a company bit. And, you know, we'll just do it. We'll, we'll start a publishing company or we'll publish your book and we'll see how we go. And that's basically what happened. So in that year, from March to March, we started the publishing company. We worked it up from the ground. We've got a wonderful logo. We've got wonderful designers on board. We've um, learned lots and lots and lots of things along the way about e-books because that was one thing we wanted to do. So every um, paperback, we publish e-book formats as well. And then in March this year, we, um, oh no, in February 1st, we had a big launch of the company. Yeah, at the Writer Centre in Adelaide, and it was it was really big. We had at least 150, 200 people come to celebrate, and um, we had a sneak peek of my novel there. So we, it was a little launch for the novel, and then I launched The Hum of Concrete at Writers Week in March in Adelaide. So um, that's kind of the trajectory of Midnight Sun, and we um, two weeks ago now we published our second novel which is called uh, Pangemonium. It's by Sunesh Katkin, which is also is very different from my novel, but it's a, it's a literary novel, but it's a comic novel. So um, we're hoping to attract, you know, kind of a different readership through that novel, perhaps. Uh, but it, they're both beautifully designed and, um, you know, both covers are striking. So that's, I think, how we want to make Midnight Sun stand out, by having striking covers, fantastic reads, and, you know, being small sometimes can be a good thing because, you know, we're new and small and we want to be out there. So we're, we're trying different channels to to be known. And I imagine the um, the demand from authors for another publisher is fairly high. Very high, <laughs> I can tell you. After the um, announcement that we were taking submissions, we were absolutely flooded. And I, you know, I must apologise to everyone who sent their manuscripts straight away because um, it's taken me quite a while to get back to you, and um, I'm still working on on the big pile. But um, it certainly means that we've got a lot to choose from, which is wonderful. So um, I've got a few full manuscripts that I'm considering, and um, hopefully the next book will be out sometime beginning of next year, is the plan. But we haven't got a name for that one yet. So I suppose the big challenge for you then, and um, and we're nearly running out of time, so I'm, I'm asking you a big question and it's, um, I'm asking for a small answer, but um, the big challenge, of course, is to balance the probably overwhelming workload of the publishing house with, um, you know, with your own writing. Yeah, that is a very important question. 
and, uh, and that's one that I'm kind of trying to consider every day. You know, how much time should I spend writing? How much time should I spend, um, you know, editing other people's works and writing emails and promoting and marketing and all the things that are involved? Because it basically is, it's just me running the company. So uh, I'm hoping now that this um, we had the launch of Pangemonium that um, I'll be able to write a bit more because I, I really would like to write another novel and, you know, well, at least get going with it to get my teeth into it and start and see where it where it leads me. Is, that, is there a new book in the works or sort of in your mind at least? Certainly, there's several books in my mind. So um, you know, there's there's no shortage of ideas. It's more the time issue and and I need to just structure my life around having perhaps you know a few hours a day writing and a few hours then doing the business. I only usually work three days a week, but then having said that, I usually work every night as well after it's got to bed. So, um, but that's not good writing time. So I think I need to just take morning time for writing and, and night time for other things. Sure. Well, wonderful. That's all we have time for today. But thank you so much for joining us, Anna. Oh, thank you so much, Magdalena. It was really nice talking to you. And don't forget to join us next month at the Compulsive Reader Talks for another author interview. And uh, that's it. Bye for now.